Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. I have got so much, so much that I want to talk about, so I'm going to get right to it because I've got a lot, a lot of little things to talk about really, so let's get started. First of all, a bit of good news from the British motorcycle scene, and that is an article actually that my uncle sent over to me, Norton Motorcycles are back on track. So this is the brand that was immortalized by Che Guevara. I always, I always say that wrong, Che Guevara, when he rode his 1939 model across America in the 50s. It was a story that was retold many times, and they are bringing back, and I'm reading here from The Telegraph, they're bringing back the V4 Superbike and the classic 961 Commando. Now, the 961 Commando is the one that really interests me. Basically, it's under new ownership. Everything is looking like it is going to get back on track. They've got a new plant close to, I think, Birmingham in Solihull, and the capacity once it's all up and running, we'll be able to turn over 8,000 new motorcycles a year. They've got everything that you need, Norton, to be a success. And in that, I, I mean, as simply as they've got the name and the heritage. It's a brand that is, I'm just checking here, 1898. It's older than Indian. I'm sure Indians, I think Indians, is it 1901 Indian? 1898. Anyway, one of the oldest motorcycle brands and really in biking that's what people love they love the heritage so if they can just just manage to get the company working correctly and be a good viable proposition and just build some bikes that are reliable and appealing it, it, they don't need to think too much out of the box just make some really solidly made bikes in that classically styling because some of the old Nortons, I'm looking through them now, they are absolutely beautiful. Don't do too much to a winning a winning recipe. I can't wait to see what happens with those, but the Commando, hmm, that's a bike I would like the look of. It's just one of those things where you hope if they do get back up and running, you're not going to have any issues. For example, if the company goes bust again in three years and you can't get parts for your bike, I just really hope everything goes well for them. So let's see what happens there. Right. This is something that I've mentioned a few times, but listen to this. This is from MCN Motorcycle News. The best retro of the year. The retro of the year 2021 is a bike that costs under four thousand pounds new the best retro of the year is a small underpowered bike which is remarkable in no area at all yet motorcycle news have voted it the best of the year and that's the royal enfield meteor and when you look at the stats you realize how important this bike is because the royal enfield meteor i love bikes like this because it opens up biking to the masses it's exactly what biking should be it should be cheap attainable transport so here's just how good value it is three thousand eight hundred and seventy nine pounds brand new but listen to this if you buy it on finance with a 969 pound deposit 
So, you're new into biking, or you need a way to get to work, or you just want some fun on the weekend, you don't have a gigantic budget, can you fork out £969 as a deposit? Because if you can, that means your monthly repayments, your monthly repayments for three years will be £56 a month. £56 a month for three years. And then at the end of it, if you want to own that bike in its entirety, you own the bike, 100% yours, just £1,297 at the end of those three years. It is such good value. It is as close to being a no-brainer as is physically possible. And they, they rave about it. Motorcycle news rave about it. And that, that is good enough for me. And when I was reading one of, I think this is from, I think this is from Bike Magazine. This is the star letter from this week's Bike Magazine or this month's Bike Magazine. I had to read this because this is, yeah, it, it kind of, it's everything that I think about biking. And I don't want to push it too much, but I just do find it interesting. It's kind of all come at once, all these things. And I, I've just been reading these articles and thinking, yes, I agree. I agree. That's what I've been thinking for ages. So listen to this star letter, star letter. I think it's from Ride Magazine. The title, it's taken 50 years of biking for the penny to drop. I continue. After graduating via clouds of two-stroke smoke, I arrived at the only destination for serious bike and motorcyclists with my first serious sports bike, a Kawasaki GPZ900R. Over the years, the Yamaha F, uh, YZF1000, a Suzuki GSXR, a couple of Yamaha R1s, and a few BMW S1000RRs followed. So they are basically as sporty and hardcore sports bikes as you could ever wish to experience. I continue. Eventually, the old bones started to hurt, and a trip that lasted any more than 50 miles required a stop for skeletal realignment. With great shame, my serious, and I'm quoting, he did speech marks here, the, uh, the guy who wrote this, my quote-unquote serious biking days were over, and I bought a BMW R9T. But wait, it was hilarious. I have never smiled so much on a motorcycle. Embarrassing, but it's taken 50 years of biking for the penny to drop. It really wasn't meant to be a serious business in the first place. Superbly, superbly written article. And I think, or written, yeah, little article. It just sums it up absolutely perfectly. I had an interesting comment, actually, to one of my to one of my YouTube videos, and this is someone who who commented on one of my YouTube videos, and he said, after I showed the poll for Ducati, and in fact, I'll get on to something interesting after this. Basically, I showed the poll for Ducati maybe two, maybe two weeks ago, where I asked Ducati owners, would you describe your Ducati as reliable? 53% said yes, and then I said, would you buy another Ducati? 52% said yes. They're poor results, they are not good results. And someone commented on a video and he said, my friend in the motorcycle trade used to say, so maybe they've improved, but my friend in the motorcycle trade used to say that Ducati engines are close to death once they reach the 20,000 mile mark. Newer ones may well be better though. It's interesting that because when I did my, 
I think it was the top 15, top 20 highest mileage motorbikes, top 20. Of those top 20, not one, not one was a Ducati. We had some Moto Guzzi's in there. And we even had, I think we even had a Benelli in there as well, but not one Ducati. So in the interest of fairness, what I did is I did just yesterday a poll on Triumph. And I had over 900 responses to this poll. I asked two questions and then I left a bit of room for people to give their their personal experiences. So here we go. These are absolutely fresh in. Triumph owner, owner feedback on what they think of it. The first question to Triumph owners and there were over 900 responses. Would you describe your Triumph as reliable? Now, bear in mind, Ducati scored 53%. So Triumph, would you describe your Triumph as reliable? Yes, 89%. 89%. That is gigantic. It's even bigger than I thought it would be, actually. That is hugely impressive. And the second question, would you buy another Triumph? And 87% of people said that, yes, they would buy another Triumph. It's, it's really, really hugely, hugely positive. Positive. I'm looking for the right word. That really is. That's amazing. My experience has been good. Had a few negatives from people, uh, a few comments from people saying Triumphs from about 20, 2007 to 2010, the electrics were not good. And I agree because I had a 2007 Triumph Speed Triple. The alarms on those bikes of that era were an absolute disgrace and should never, ever have been signed off. They destroyed the bikes. You'd need new batteries three times a year and you'd only be able to start the bike 50% of the time. They were a disgrace. And I know the two owners of the people that said that and they both own those era Triumph Street triples, actually. Um, but really interesting. Another interesting point I had was a, a negative point towards Triumphs. And he, he said that he loves Triumphs, but but they need to be careful that with the modern classics, they don't get too technological. And he also said that he's not a fan of the keyless start, which I do agree with. I'm not either. But he did say he hopes they don't keep getting too technological and i agree especially for the modern classics you do want that element of simplicity to them and i continue because i had after last week when i was freaking out about victory motorcycles it may have been semi-obvious that i am not the most knowledgeable about this brand so a listener very kindly sent in um a little bit more detail about victory and and this is quite eye-opening i really enjoyed reading this email because it's it gives a lot of insight into the brand and a few bits that i didn't understand and a few bits i got wrong so i'll read it out to you so hi freddie hope all's going well in tenerife i've just been listening to your latest podcast and thought i'd fill you in a bit more on victory motorcycles victory in fact did not go bust, but it was actually shelved by Polaris, its parent company, due to its lack of success. So Polaris are a huge company that make a host of other vehicles. Victory was created as a challenger brand to Harley Davidson, billed as better engineered, more reliable, a modern American-made cruiser with decent handling and horsepower. Everything that Harley-Davidson didn't have at the time. So it was billed 
It was billed actually as a better engineered, more reliable bike to, for example, the Harleys. And from the feedback that I got last week, or the feedback that I was reading last week on MCN, where the owners were rating the reliability as five out of five, really, really, really positive reviews from the owners saying they're incredibly well made and almost faultless reliability. And that backs it up. And anyway, I continue. However, however, the victory w was missing, you guessed it, Heritage, and that's why it failed to sell. Which brand has bags of Heritage? Harley, and that's why they're such a popular brand. The only longer-standing American motorcycle brand with more Heritage than Harley was Indian. So again, you guessed it, Polaris bought or brought back the Indian brand and started producing Indian motorcycles following the progress they'd made with the victory. So you'll notice the first new Indian bike, the Scout, was also the last victory model, the Octane, just with different styling. The victory gunner has also been a dream bike of mine and he carries on and carries on that he wants to buy um, maybe a victory or a Harley Road King. Interesting. That is so insightful, especially the overlap between the last victory model and the first Indian model of the Scout and how there was that overlap. So thank you so much for sending that in. I actually had one more really interesting email coming that I wanted to share. And let's just say that today's episode is a bit of me having a bit of a hankering for these, these super simple motorbikes that are cheap to maintain and you get a cheap thrill from it, pushing the bike to the limit. And I had a very nice email that came in. Here we go. I'm a new rider at the age of 46 and at the, at the moment I only have my CBT. That is for all non-Brits, CBT is your 125cc test that you can take. It only takes one afternoon. You're pretty much guaranteed to pass. You can only ride a 125cc bike and you need an L plate on the back. And it lasts for two years. After that, you need to do your big test. Um, so you don't need to keep redoing it. You don't need to have L plates and things like that. So at the moment, I only have my CBT, but I plan to do my full test early next year. And this is where the problem begins. I'm having the time of my life riding my Mutt 125. I know that I'm an inexperienced rider and that uh, and I have yet to experience a big bike, but I took my small bike out this afternoon to find a, a cafe to have a coffee. Because of the roads I was riding, I never had the need or really the opportunity to, or, or the opportunity to do more than 50 miles an hour. I was on country roads that were twisty and most of the time had a speed limit of 40 to 50 miles an hour anyway. And because of the nature of the roads, the cars at times were actually going slower than me and slowing me down. The thing is, I was riding my bike at eight tenths all of the time and having an absolute blast. So even though I never broke a single speed limit, I could attack the bends and equally I could sit up while cruising and fully enjoy the scenery, nature and experience. So this is where the problem starts. Once I pass my test, I feel I should go out and buy a bigger bike so that I can be a proper biker. But I'm having so much fun for such small cost, brackets, my bike plus, this is eye-opening, my bike plus insurance plus tax equals 
under £2,000, and it does 100 plus miles per gallon. Um, so basically I'm having so much fun that I'm not sure I can justify the outlay as I don't think a big bike would offer the same fun and excitement on real roads that I want to ride on because I would never fully be able to open up the throttle and have absolutely pinned it in a perfectly legal situation. So when there are now so many more speed restrictions with average speed cameras on a roads etc it makes me wonder if there is any point in extremely powerful bikes going forward i know everyone's situation is different and i do appreciate and admire all other types of bikes but and he he kind of wraps it up there but that's that, that you know i'm hearing that quite a bit and is that why does that lead into the meter's success the royal enfield interceptor's success they're bringing it back to basics. I've I've ridden the Interceptor. I've done over 900 miles on it. And it is so involving because you have to think about every single gear change. You have to think about every entrance to every, every bend, every roundabout, every corner. Because if you get your entrance to a bend wrong, you're going to be losing power for the next two bends. You're going to be down on power because you won't have hit it in the correct angle. Whereas these new bikes, they're so quick. And I, I was the worst for it when I used to have my Triumph Speed Triple. Going 100 miles an hour, brake, and then useless line. It doesn't matter because you're back up to 100 miles an hour straight out of the bend again. But these lower-powered bikes, they're so involving. You are pushing it to the limit, concentrating 100% on every single element. I love how involving they are. So 100%. 100%. I'm with you there. And I move on to trackers. And an email from a policeman. I begin. Freddie, I have something interesting that you may like to cover in your podcast. Keyless vehicle crime is at epidemic levels in the UK at the moment, as is bike theft. Conventional trackers are useless unless they are either... Uh, are useless if they're obviously placed or in a generic position such as BMW and Mercedes. So as a cop, we are finding the trackers less than 20 minutes after they were left where they've been removed and discarded. I would recommend an Apple AirTag. Hide it on your vehicle using some double-sided tape and for £40 you have an almost undetectable tracking system. Thank you so much for sending this in. This is this is really interesting. How do the how does the Apple tag compare, for example, to a proper out and out tracker? So I've done a lot of research and the policeman kindly sent me over a video and it's really, really interesting. As far as I can tell, as far as I can tell, and I always, always welcome comment. An Apple and I'm quoting here actually, just uh because my knowledge is not good, but I did a lot of research on this. This is one article about Apple AirTags. So Apple has not specified the exact Bluetooth range of an AirTag, but it's believed that each AirTag supports Bluetooth 5.0, same as the latest iPhones, which means it should be trackable within 800 feet. Another article said that how far an AirTag can reach depends on which of the tracking methods above is used. So Apple have yet to declare the actual distance, but there are some clear indications that can help. An AirTag uses Bluetooth to connect to an iPhone during the initial setup process, and an iPhone needs to be within a range of 33 feet to connect to any Bluetooth device. 
So that's according to Apple. Therefore, regardless of the actual range of the AirTag, the operating distance is 10 meters. Um, another, another article said that AirTags themselves have no positional location capability. Block capital or bold, they do not contain GPS technology. Rather, they merely ping the nearest Bluetooth enabled device and let that device's location do the rest. So it, it sounds to me like they will work if you're in a city and you're near another, for example, if you've got if you've got the Apple AirTag, if if that AirTag is near another Apple phone, if it's within X amount of feet or meters of that phone, it can bounce its location off those to give you a location. But if it's away from any other Apple phones in the middle of nowhere, it's because it doesn't contain GPS technology, it can't give out its signal. I've looked as best I can. I, I will welcome any feedback on that. But I think I think the the AirTags will have limitations if they're if they're far away from iPhones, in essence, because they'll have no Bluetooth to bounce off. Um, but this policeman actually genuinely did get me thinking from what he said because of course he is speaking from i'm sure a huge amount of experience when he says that the your track if you have a tracker like i do i've got a sysap tracker if you have a tracker you have to do your best to hide it and make it as difficult as possible for the thieves to find it and even if they find it that's okay but you've got to try and make it take as long as possible so for example where i lived in my block of flats in london there were, in the last two years I was there, six, about six motorbikes stolen. Of the six stolen, three were recovered. The three that were recovered, every single one of them had a tracker and they were all recovered purely because of the tracker for no other reason. The three bikes that were stolen never recovered. Every single one of them did not have a tracker. So that's why I now have a tracker because from my experience living in London, if you don't have a tracker on your bike, you have 0% chance of getting your bike back. But if you do have a tracker on it, well, we had a 100% success rate where I lived of getting the bikes back. But but I'm sure, of course, there'll be times when the thieves can rip out the tracker and then they're gone. So it's a really relevant point because my tracker on my Bonneville, I haven't hidden it. And I did wonder, on the underside of my tracker, it's got, it's got strong adhesive and you just peel it off and you can stick it anywhere. And I actually wondered what this is for. And I think I understand it better now. I should hide my tracker, make it much less accessible to get to, and you, I can stick it underneath another bit of the bike to make it inaccessible. And on my saddle of my bike, I've got two, two, I've forgotten the name of it, but they're like inverted Allen key heads. So instead of having just a screw that you can unscrew with your hands, there are two specific screws that you can use. So with that, the thief has to have the exact right screw head to unscrew my saddle. Maybe I can get some more secure ones with a lock, but they need to have the exact right sized uh, screw head. And secondly, if I then make my tracker really, really hard to get to and almost impossible to find, they, you know, they're going to have a lot of hassle trying to find my tracker. And even if they unplug my tracker from the battery, it's still got its own built-in battery that will last for, I 
can't remember exactly. I think it's 20 minutes or so. So it's going to make their job as hard as possible. Plus, of course, I get the ping on my phone if the bike's stolen. So I'm hoping that I can get there in time, you know, because it's, it's some hassle that the thief has to go through to get to it. But that is eye-opening. Um, Apple AirPod. I think that's what they call them. Apple uh, AirTag. Apple AirTag. And I think Android do one as well. Um, but they are some interesting stats from the policeman. And the policeman, because um, that's that's some really interesting feedback. The policeman said the Apple AirTags, um, he, he rates them highly. He rates them very highly, the AirTag. So there is... I'm just seeing if I can find his email. Apologies, I've completely... Oh, yeah, I would I very highly recommend the Apple AirTag. Hide this in or on the vehicle using some double-sided tape, and for £40, it's an almost undetectable tracking system. So um, there is a little bit of really eye-opening consumer advice. I personally use the Sysapp device. It doesn't have a monthly subscription um, and I know, uh, well, in fact, I know quite a few people using that device now. It comes with a, an app that you can basically track the phone and find out where it is and it pings and stuff like that. But as a super simple device, maybe especially in the city as well, um, yeah, the Apple AirTag, very interesting. And let's move on. Okay, two bikes for the end. I was in the capital of Tenerife today. And the capital of Tenerife is Santa Cruz. And I, I saw in the flesh, it may have been for the first time ever, the Suzuki Intruder 1800cc. I, I thought it was a gigantic Harley. And in the flesh, this bike looks every bit as good as a Harley Davidson. It's, it's actually... It's as good looking as the Harley Davidsons or the Indians, and the build quality of these Suzuki Intruders is second to none. If you put that bike side by side with a, a Harley Davidson and you gave it to an untrained eye, you took the badges off, I really, really, I don't know if you'd be able to tell build quality wise the Suzuki and the Harley Davidson. I was blown away. I actually had to do a little Instagram story and a video of this. Suzuki Intruder today. I also had no idea what it was. It says Intruder on the side, but Suzuki in tiny, tiny writing. So I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, I had to find, just typing this in now, Suzuki Intruder. I had to find out how much they are on, let's have a look. I'll do this one online how much can you get a second hand one for i mean they're not going to be cheap they're 1800 cc's and these big bikes are never cheap if i go on to mcn suzuki intruder 1997 to 2012 mcn rating four out of five owners rating four out of five so they score well everywhere and it says here god is that possible it says here it's got 52 horsepower it's absolutely microscopic not that you really need any more but that is even in my book, and I like low-powered engines, that is small. So, the cost of... I tell you what I'm going to do, just to save a bit of money. I'm going to look at the Suzuki Intruder. No, no, I was going to look at the 1500. Let's go all out. Let's go for the 1800. They've got a 1500, and the 1500, just so you know, that comes in, in the UK, that comes in just under £6,000. £6,000! 
for a 1500 cc 66 horsepower here i've just been corrected 66 horsepower it's really that's about some presence and for under 6k we're coming into the cheap period now for buying a motorbike this is the time to buy a motorbike and something like that under 6k you cannot go wrong if you're looking at the 1800 cc to get a really nice one of those 83 horsepower 9,000 miles all black panniers rear backrest 7,995 pounds for a bike that it's got some presence you really you're looking at only indians and harley davidsons if you want presents like this from a motorbike it is a phenomenal phenomenal looking machine and at under 8k what a buy i really mean that what a buy i've got one more for you this is a bike that has been i've just been reading all these bike magazines i've got this app where i can have all of my english bike magazines and i've just been loving it and this is let's see if i can find it here because this was another tip off from the magazine here we go affordable italians so this is motorcycle news best buy for the two and a half to four thousand pound bracket the best buy and it is the Moto Guzzi Breva, B-R-E-V-A. They've actually said the 1100 is their pick. So an 1100 Moto Guzzi Breva. And you can get one. I'll find, I'll find a good one, not just the cheapest. Let me find a good one. Here we go. 3,500 pounds for 2005 1100cc Moto Guzzi. It's 86 horsepower, 233 kilos. And they look superb. These prices, you know, we're getting to the cheap season of October, November, December, Jan, Feb, March, probably even April. To get a bike that looks that good for under three, uh, under three and a half K, you can squeeze one out for. That's got to be a great buy. Must, must be a great buy. And it looks superb. This one is all in black, single headlamp, really meaty looking machine. And it's also got a really comfy looking pillion seat a really comfy passenger seat that classic motor Guzzi style engine i'm the, 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 there are a lot of bikes here that are tempting me and it's opened my eyes with with people sharing different bikes with me and seeing all of these bike magazines you know i used to think oh come on there aren't many bikes that i'd actually buy there are there are a lot of bikes let's say if my price brackets in reality under 6k is great there are so many cool bikes and so many bikes i'd never have heard of if i didn't just get some tip-offs like this so hmm. food for thought and let's let's wrap it up there we'll wrap it up there thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast podcast episode i should say if you've got any comments on this week's episode let me know i hugely appreciate all of them have a brilliant end to the week and i will speak to you in the next one